Team, team, team. How the devil are we? I hope all is well. Welcome back to another episode of the High Performance Coach Podcast. Today, I'm joined by an incredibly special guest, uh, somebody that I now know that you're going to uh, love. Uh, a lot of you will have heard of, and if you haven't off the back of this podcast, you absolutely will. Uh, Kat has been somebody that was in my corner a couple of years ago and helped me monumentally with my messaging, my marketing, my content, my copy, uh, and really uh, allowed me to establish my voice uh, in a very kind of crowded, busy uh, market and really just gave me the confidence and the certainty that I now needed, especially as I was stepping into the new coaches, uh, the coaches coach, which is obviously a completely new era for me. So uh, it's an absolute pleasure to bring Kath into uh, today's podcast. And I'm excited to chat, explore. And in my words, when I said to uh, Kath about jumping onto the podcast, just to shoot the shit and just to see where the wind really takes us. So Kath, how the devil are you? I am superb. Thank you so much for having me on, Joe. This is an incredible opportunity to, to have a chat to you and to have an impact on your community. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, so good. I would love to know because I think when I think about Kath, I automatically think of kind copy and I automatically think about your uh, wizardry with uh, words and what it is that you can now really put pen to paper on. But I actually want to be able to understand a little bit more about the person behind kind copy and calf. So what is it we need to understand and know about calf, which will allow us to appreciate and acknowledge what then kind copy is and, and why it is what it is? All right. That's a good question. And I feel like it's kind of a complicated answer. Honestly, when I first got into the fitness industry, I was a teacher. I was not part of your world at all. And, and I realized the other day just how judgmental the teaching profession can be. And I felt that it was. So I lost a whole bunch of weight. I lost sort of eight and a half stone. Um, lots of which has been regained before anybody makes a comment. But when I first started getting into it, I joined the gym so that I could reward myself in a way that was nourishing and um, and looked after my well-being, but didn't relate to food and didn't really relate to anything else. So I wanted to sort of compound my impact. And, um, and I was really scared. I was really scared to join the gym. So I did a bunch of drive-bys. I, um, I scoped out everybody online. I saw what was in the area. And I like literally parked outside the gym and just got a vibe for how busy is it? When is it busy? How would I feel coming here each day? Like, do, do I feel welcome? And eventually I, I honed it down to the one that I was going to go to. And I checked out their marketing. And um, when I looked online, it was all, I don't know, you'll remember this, Joe, the, the, the health and fitness industry online about 10 years ago was exclusively bodybuilding. And it was all very much a case of bodybuilding.com. And um, if you're fat and ugly, join a gym and then just be ugly style messaging. It was all quite negative and it was all quite, um, you're not enough and, and stop being so shit. Everything you are, I'm changing entirely. So I was like, wow, this is like, this is harsh. It was harshing a vibe, you know, when you're in a place where you're just starting out and you're trying to do something new. I felt that it was quite destructive, actually. And although I was able to keep going with it at that time, every time I saw messaging online, every time I saw a personal trainer or a coach or, and I'm going back a long time now, this isn't what it's like anymore. But at that time, it felt like it was really negative. And then when you talk to people who were doing this long term, it actually felt like they had quite a destructive relationship with themselves. And the messaging was reflective of how they were talking to themselves internally. So at the time I was teaching and I was a psychologist and I knew that if you speak to a low emotion market, you're going to keep getting low emotion people in the door. So when I started Kind Copy, what I really wanted was to sell this idea that 
it's absolutely in your power to make a change. And there is hope that you can create a better and different future for yourself if, if that's what you want. So I came at this thinking the language was negative. The visuals were negative. It wasn't, it didn't feel inclusive at that time. And for somebody who wasn't part of that world, this is why people worry that they're going to go to the gym and get judged. You know, if you've been in a gym for any length of time, you'll know that gym people are like the least judgmental people you'll ever meet. And actually, I was coming from a far more judgmental background in teaching, but I wanted to keep it all secret. I felt like I was doing, I almost felt like I was doing something illicit. I didn't want to tell my colleagues I was going. I would sneak out after the working day was over. I would, if anybody saw me like in my gym clothes, I was like, oh God, I'm mortified. Like, I just don't want you to know that I'm part of this world. Um, and that was a reflection of my judgment on that. So that's where the kind copy ethos came from. That I thought if we could speak to people with kindness and empowerment and hope, we would put them in a more emotionally positive state and they would be better able to solve what they felt the problem was. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And how did you find the transition from teacher to then into uh, like kind of personal training for a period for a period of time? And then obviously into copy, because I think one of the biggest challenges that we see is that there's almost like this identity shift and this kind of leaving behind uh, this safety, I suppose, that you you feel, uh, especially when you kind of wrap obviously a lot of your identity and self-worth around potentially a certain thing. So how was the transition through those different phases? It was a weird thing, right? So I was a teacher for a really long time. I was a psychologist for 12 years. So I got made redundant just one time too many. So I would teach the part of the the school or the other college that was not um, compulsory education. So I wasn't a core subject. I didn't teach English and maths. I taught psychology. So that was an optional thing. So if they chose to chop my department, I just got chopped. So I got made redundant and I thought, this, this had happened once before, and I thought, it is ludicrous to me that I am a professional person on a professional career path, and somebody else can decide whether or not I can keep having a job. I thought that was absolutely insane and completely unacceptable. So I was, you know, I was well-educated, I was good at my job, but, you know, sometimes funding wasn't there for your subject, and you would just get cut with very little warning. So I was going through this transition myself at that time of losing a lot of weight. And I thought, well, I had a bit of an advantage because I knew I was going to be made redundant in about a year. So I thought, well, I could market and get more people into the course, or I could cut my losses here and use this skill somewhere else. So I had a whole year of being able to do both. And that was a massive advantage. So for people who are in like the coaching space right now and they've still got another job, I think sometimes that can get looked down upon sometimes in sort of entrepreneurial circles. Don't let it at all. That's actually a really smart safety net move. If you're new into the coaching industry, you've got regular income and that can allow you to be explorative and test things that work. I think that's a really smart idea. So for about a year, I was doing both. I was teaching. I was seven until about four I was teaching. And then four till like 9 p.m., I was working for free as a personal trainer in a gym on the way home. So I was working a hell of a long day for about a year. Um, and from that, built up a client base and great clients as well, lovely people that I really liked working with. So by the time I left teaching, I had some money coming in from personal training. It wasn't anything, you know, mega to write home about, but it was enough to take the pressure off. And it was enough to not sell to just anyone that came into the gym. So I could be a little bit selective because I had this safety net of, of teacher money. 
and then I got my redundancy. So that made it a little bit safer. It wasn't loads of money, but it was a little bit safer. Um, and then for that time period, my dad was ill. So um, my dad had Alzheimer's. So we were caring for him um, for, so I was working in two gyms for free and I was a personal trainer and then my dad got sick. So this was a fairly like intense period of working mega long hours and there were demands on my sort of free time. And when my dad passed away, I didn't take any time off because as any self-employed person knows, if you're not on the gym floor, you can't make any money and that's a mega stress. And also I'm a completely emotionally avoidant person by nature and I didn't want to process any of that stuff. So I went back to work the next day and I worked and worked and worked and I was training three times a day so that I didn't have to feel anything. And some of your listeners may empathize with that um, until I got sick. So he died in November and I got sick in February. So I got flu and that was all it was. It was just flu, but it was enough to put me to bed and it was enough to take me off the gym floor for two weeks. And I thought, I can't earn any money. And if I'm not on the gym floor and I can't earn any money, this job is not sustainable. So like, I'm going to be 40 this summer. So I'm older than lots of PTs and I'm older than lots of this industry. So I thought, how sustainable is this career really? I put all this time and effort into it. And I thought, I better try and find something else so that I can have a bit of a safety net. And that was only ever supposed to be, I'm going to run my business online just so I can, I'm not so dependent on the gym floor stuff. And that was only ever meant to be for me. Never intended to write for anybody else. Never intended to like move into a, a totally different space. I had found acceptance in this environment and I wanted to give that to other people as well I felt like this was judgmental but I was wrong and I want to show you that if you think that you might be wrong as well come and see what it's like so I never really intended this to become something else and then I first got paid to write right before COVID hit so I think my first um the first time I got paid to write was like February 2020 and then March obviously gyms closed so I was like oh maybe this was maybe this was meant to be so that sort of launched the marketing part of it and the, co the copy part. And I thought, well, actually, I feel really strongly that what's happening in this space is handled indelicately and a little bit unkindly. And I think that I maybe could make a little tiny contribution to how people get spoken to when they're trying to make a change in their life. So I started doing little bits for people and then more people asked and then, you know, you asked and people like, you know, we were moving in circles at that time where there was a lot of opportunity online at that time and coaches were ready to capitalize on it. They were they were wolfish about how they were going to grab up their market share. And then I found myself with an entirely different business all of a sudden, close to overnight. So I had to sort of step away from my own clients, which was a huge, like, I felt really conflicted about that because they were great. I loved them. They were awesome people. But in terms of, where I could make the best impact on people's lives, I realized that if I was making, if I could help my clients, I could maybe help, you know, 10, 12, 20 people at most. And that's cool because they can help other people. But when I was helping people like you, you're helping hundreds of people. And if I could help 10 people like you, I can help thousands of people. And that was really encouraging for me because I thought, well, if, if what I'm trying to do long-term is help regular people to make positive changes in their lives, what an incredible platform to have that impact. So I sort of stepped into this instead and, and never really looked back. Truth be told, I'm a massively 
better marketer than I was a coach because when you're a coach, you have to be emotionally available for your clients. And uh, I was sort of avoiding that, quite quite aggressively avoiding that at that time. So this worked out brilliantly for me. Yeah, I, lo- I love the, I just work for free piece. Like, there's so much in there that I could unpack and that's kind of swirling around in my mind. But I think the working for free piece and actually being able to really just appreciate and acknowledge actually what it takes initially for you to be able to just do the reps do the time Mm -hmm. and actually just really find that foundation and really find that base, which I think is so, so integral. And I think quite often, I don't know about you, but I feel as though that sometimes there's these people that now come into the industry or even in the industry that are trying to skip all these steps. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think the importance of actually just spending a period of time actually developing your craft, developing obviously your uh, skill, even not just as a coach, but actually as a communicator. You know, and that being the probably the most integral piece that I think that actually being on the gym floor can and will actually teach you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some people say, you know, this is quite a divisive topic in our community, right? You need to have spent time on the gym floor. or No, you don't have to spend time on the gym floor. Honestly, I found it quite easy to become a relatively fully booked PT. It was just a case of talking to people. And I'm super introverted. So, like, if I can do it, Anybody can do it. And it was really just like the least salesy process ever. I would never interrupt anybody if they were still working, but I would take a bunch of classes. If you've ever worked in a gym, you've done classes for free, I'm sure. And if you're still there, this was the technique I would use. To start the class, I would say, hey guys, my name's Kath, I'm going to take the class today, whatever it is, spin or whatever. Um, And if you hang back at the end with any questions that you may have, I'm going to be here for it. I'm going to hang around for the next five minutes at the end. And then at the end of the class, I'd be like, so what you've just done there today is called Spin, whatever. My name is Kath. I'm also a personal trainer here. So if you do want one-to-one help on the gym floor outside of these classes, stay behind and I can talk to you about how we can maybe help you get that done. So it was really not, it was like literally you come to me. It was super, super light. That's how I got basically all my clients. And then there would be word of mouth and people would see us having fun. And it was literally about being the most fun person to work with in the gym and then people would bring their friends and they'd bring them. What was really cool was when they would bring their mams. You know, like if somebody trusts you with their mom or their gran, I was like, wow, I must be doing something right here. Because even if that's not you I'm working with, maybe I'm not the right person for you. But if you give me your mom, I'm like, wow, I must have built some good trust here. So, yeah, like that communication style felt really easy on the gym floor for me. But what was a real punch in the teeth was when I tried to move my business online, I was like, well, I was a fully booked PT, so I'm going to be a fully booked online coach. I guess it's the same skill. And then I realized I had almost none of the skills I needed, literally almost nothing I needed to to be a good online presence. So I didn't know how to market myself. I didn't know anything about copy. I didn't know anything about building a website or posting on the internet. I didn't know anything about sort of angles and hooks and niche and all that stuff. I was just, I was really humbled by how few of those skills transferred over. That's really what started the whole thing off was like, I thought I was going to be really good at this and I'm actually terrible at it. Why is that? Um, and I just tried to fix my problem, really. I think people have to acknowledge and appreciate. I think quite often they don't. It's like actually being a personal trainer on the gym floor and running an online coaching business, like you say, are two completely different skill sets, uh, you know, all, t- all together. And there's often a lot of people that transition from personal training to online coaching and actually it doesn't kind of quite work. And there's a lot of people that actually then go from online coaching and they kind of go into personal training. And again, there's a little bit of a disconnect. What impact do you think, the psychology uh, element has obviously had on your uh, skill as a as a writer and how much of an influence do you believe that that's kind of played on your ability to uh, create and write in the way in which you do? 
what was funny was when I was still teaching, I would do sort of like open evenings and stuff, which was where you go and you try to pitch your course to potential students. And I used to say, so they would come to me and they'd say, what's psychology good for? And I'd be like, well, anytime you're working with humans or, you know, anytime you want to help somebody else, psychology is useful. And I guess you could use it in marketing. And I saw those as completely divergent things. I thought helping people and marketing were totally different. So I saw marketing as almost like this sleazy sales process. It's weird, actually, how much of my own beliefs I had to undo to even get into this job. So I would see them as totally distinct. And when you really think about what marketing is, it's, it's just change work. So you're helping someone to create the change that they want to see in their lives. The psychology aspect, I think, is absolutely integral. I really have no idea how people do it without any psychology background. So for me, it's probably the most important part of the process because it starts with, this is quite hard to teach, but it's always like, imagine how people feel before they've read your thing. Then imagine how they feel when they're reading your thing. What do you need them to feel to take the next action? Then say the words to fill in the gap. So I sort of write... I guess that's kind of a backwards process, but I almost sort of feel like, what do you need to feel for this, for the action I want you to take to make sense? And I sort of backfill. So I know that probably isn't the way that most people do it, but I think for me, the psychology background is massive. And when you're thinking about your, your, the process that you now follow, is that the exact process that you would now think about every single time you'd write a piece of copy regardless? So, yeah. So what, uh, People talk about a call to action, right? But I think a call to emotion is far more effective for me. So I think if I want you to behave like this, what have you got to feel for that to be the only obvious choice? So I need you to feel something, a specific thing, and then I'll write something that makes that happen. But first I have to feel it in myself. So I think all of copy is just an energy exchange. All of the sales process is just an energy exchange. So if I can feel it in me first, I can make you feel it. So if I read something and I'm not emotionally moved by it, or if I don't find it funny, or if I find it, uh, you know, I, I want to distance myself from it as I'm reading it, I assume that I can manipulate is a loaded word, but I feel like I can create that feeling in somebody else if I can feel it in myself first. So yeah, the whole process is very driven by an instinctive empathy. Writing content is such a skill. And I think sometimes people go online, they're like, I'm just going to start creating content. But you actually don't realize the time, the effort, uh, the energy and the uh, education that almost and the experience that goes into actually creating a piece of copy that does now kind of evoke a degree of emotion. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I had for so long was just basically coming onto like social media, especially in the early days and just being like transactional. And it was just like, here's a load of information. And there was no kind of like structure. It wasn't really well thought out. It was just, uh, I need to post some content. So let me put something out to the world. What do you believe are some of the biggest challenges that uh, coaches, fitness professionals now face when it comes to their marketing, their copy uh, that you're currently seeing at the moment that is um, almost stopping them from being able to evoke the emotion and connect with their audience on a deeper level? That's a great question. And I think this is a really key thing. I think what I'm seeing right now is when coaches don't know who they're talking to, they don't know how to talk to them. And so when that happens, they just blend in, right? I saw somebody on um on social media the other day asking a question about this and they said just use chat gpt to research the problems of your market i'm like if you don't know what the problems of your market are why do you think you're in a position to sell them anything like your instinct for your market should be so second nature to you 
even if you could speak to that person using AI, why would you be in a position to actually help them if you don't really get them? You know, this is a this is a pre-service stage of doing the reps, like you say, spending the time. So, but coaches have got a wealth of experience that they're almost delegating out to AI or to, to somebody who doesn't get what they're all about. So who they are, their experience and their expertise, that's the first thing to start with. So number one, who you are as an individual, what experiences have you had and what really fires you up when you talk about it. So get clear on that. The next thing I think would be what can you actually do for this market and how would you do it in a way that other people don't? So this would be the results that you can get people, what uh, separates you from others. That might be a mechanism. So if you work with people who have got like menopause issues or PCOS, you've probably got a medical mechanism, for example. What is the unique method that you're going to take them through to get them this result? Because ultimately, this is the tricky thing about coaching is that we're more or less all talking about calorie deficit, progressive overload. And that becomes very information driven if you don't understand the people in the process. The last thing I would say is what you stand for. So this would be like North Star marketing. These are the lines we won't cross. This is the, I will never say and behave in this way. And if you've got to that point, then you can probably delegate that out to somebody else. So that will be um, who you are, your experiences and expertise. Number two, that will be what you can do for your audience and how you would do it differently. And what you stand for would be North Star lines I won't cross so for us that would look like I've got experience as a psychologist our unique method is that we get results organically where most marketers will push you into paid media and we stand for you know never twisting the knife and empowering the reader to actually make a positive change I think sometimes coaches can fall into this trap of because I'm selling information I'm selling a a, a result it does feel transactional and so it's hard then to sell a desirable offer and then you feel like you have to sell all the time. You have to sell really hard. And I think this is what we're seeing in the market right now. I think coaches are just tired. I said this to you before we started recording. I think that we've gone through COVID where people leapt into action, took advantage of, you know, receptive market, sold hard, hard, hard. And then it almost like you have, you have to maintain that standard of output to keep those results. And we're in this constant churn and chase feeling where the market feels different rapidly different within weeks and coaches are having to adapt their techniques but it's tiring to be in a position where you're constantly trying to iterate and and come up with new forms of angles and hooks and ideas especially when you're also trying to run a coaching business and you're not a full-time marketer or content creator so the final thing i think possibly coaches are missing is a piece on how do i actually evaluate what's working so how do I know, especially with organic, where there can sometimes be a real lag period? Like, they, so you obviously, but you're reaching your likes and your engagement and things like that. The, the app will tell you, but those aren't the most important things. You know how when a client comes to a coach and they say, hey, how much does it cost? But you know they're only asking that question because they haven't got a better question to ask. So you need to redirect them into asking them something more relevant. It's almost like that same thing happens in marketing. So people ask, how many likes does it get? Or how much engagement have I got? I'm like, mm, it doesn't really matter all that much because if you've got 10 people following you and you can sell to all 10 people at high ticket, you've got a very healthy business. So having a way to evaluate 
or analyze the impact of what you're actually doing so that you can adapt your plan in a meaningful way. I think that's missing for lots of people. And I think that can create quite a lot of stress for coaches. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely love that. What do you, what do you think is going to be such an integral piece? Because you obviously said that, uh, that, and we spoke about this obviously before the start. That obviously, there's quite a lot of coaches that now potentially are finding it harder, more challenging, more difficult. Um, what do you now believe is going to be like a, a really kind of integral, important piece uh, for somebody to now have in their toolbox? Moving into 2024, I saw you put up a great piece a couple of days ago. You're talking about the effort economy, uh, if that if, if I've kind of phrased that correct. So, yeah, I'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. So I think over the last few years, what we've seen is coaches are aware that we're in an attention economy where you need eyeballs. So this this hunt for reach and this hunt for engagement, I will do bigger and bigger and bigger things. I need to be everywhere. I need to be omnipresent. I need to be on every platform. But all that does is spreads you too thin. And it stops you. It, it almost like coaches are amazing people, right? Because they are the sorts of humans that if you tell them you have to do this every single day for a year, they'll do it. Or if you tell them you have to do this 10 times a day and that's the metric for success, they will do it. But that becomes a tick box exercise of um, I'll, I'll maintain this streak, no drama. But the quality of work has absolutely got to drop if your only objective is volume, Right. So in terms of what I think is going to be happening this year, God, I was going to say next year then, but 2024 is this year, isn't it? I think we'll see a void of middle ground. I think we'll see really great coaches becoming exceptional coaches. And I think we'll see sort of middle ground coaches either dropping back to the gym floor because they miss the camaraderie and the, the energy of the gym. Um, but I think that will probably take about 12 months. I think we'll see that for this entire year. That doesn't happen overnight. So coaches who are really ambitious will need to focus on excellence and quality of stuff. Now, I know quality comes from quantity and that you have to put the reps in to get good. But I think one of the things that's going to make a comeback this year is going to be longer form content. So we know that for anybody to buy from you, you have to take up about 1% of their day. In practice, that means about 14 minutes. So you, if you were doing that with reels or like short form content, it'd have to consume a lot of your stuff to even like get on their radar. But if you can make one piece of content that they pay attention to for the full 14 minutes, like a podcast or um, maybe a longer piece of writing or a longer video, for example, doesn't matter what it is, you just have to have their attention. That level of output will be extremely hard to sustain long term. So to have a really engaging quality piece of content that's emotional, that speaks to their main pain points, that builds trust, that is a tough thing to sustain. So having a really robust understanding of your niche, your mechanism, social proof, all of that stuff, that's going to help make coaches undeniable. But I think we're, we've, we've got a market right now where people are really discerning about what they're prepared to invest in because most people are skinned and the cost of living is affecting lots of people's buying habits. So it won't affect the people who are really delivering incredible value and making a difference to their clients' lives. Of course, they'll still spend on that. Um, and if coaches are scared about that, you really shouldn't be. Like investing in yourself and becoming a better coach, better communicator, better business owner, better leader, better marketer, better team I guess, what's the term, like team leader, like head of your business or whatever. Those things are all valid uses of your time. But it's not going to be so much about 
ticking the box and being everywhere so much as it's going to be about giving a genuine insight into, wow, I never thought about that before. And that's going to be knowing what to do and why, knowing what to offer and when, and knowing how to position yourself and where. Those things are going to become incredibly important this year. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers that people face when it comes to finding their voice and being able to establish who their niche like is? And I think final piece to that is actually being able to curate your offer because I think as we develop your offer almost becomes more complex because mm -hmm. you become more skilled and then actually you end up speaking a little bit too further ahead in maybe in comparison to actually the, the way in which you need to be communicating at that first step it's an interesting one because if you'd asked me this perhaps two years ago I would have said you've got a niche down and I, and I do believe that that's true and I still think it's true initially I think what we see is a need, a real need to have one person, one offer, one platform, clarity, one simple thing, until your business is in a position where you can probably hire somebody else. At that point, you can then go broader. So you know when you were on the gym floor and you'd be pretty broad and then you'd eventually narrow down? I think we're seeing the opposite happen online. So we'd go very narrow to begin with, and then you can be broader eventually. But until you're at a point where you've got predictable lead flow, easy sales, and I mean like 80% close, no call, um, team for to help support you in your delivery and your onboarding and stuff, and a robust like reputation in the market, I don't think you should even consider going broader. At the point where you can do those things, you can start to offer maybe a second thing, a different price point maybe you can attract a broader audience and you would do that by being known for one word so if in the beginning um so if i take you for an example if i think about joe i think about high performance coach hpc so i think about high performance i think about output i think about excellence commitment i think about um being incredibly consistent in the standard that you maintain at this point, you probably could go a little bit broader and think about who else do I want to have in my world. But that can only come when you take pride in that one small thing. So coaches want to go broad because they think it's going to be a safer option to talk to more people. But there's so much clutter online that you'll never be known for one word if you are chasing two. So I hope the word that we would be known for would be kindness and we have multiple offers at multiple price points at this point, but I want us to be known for that. That's the, the the North Star that we go by. So people are craving that deep connection, the genuine effort, undeniable results. All of those things come from pride. And the development of your offer should be first based around the narrowest promise that you can make. What is the thing that you can be absolutely sure that you can deliver somebody in 30 days and go hard on that? until you're in a position to hire and then you can think about going slightly broader so that could then look like how can this first word relate to these other things that i'm interested in so if i want to be known for kindness how can that happen in organic marketing how can that happen in paid marketing how can that happen in delivery how can that happen in team comms all of those other broader things but they're a secondary consideration you have to be known for one thing first otherwise you're not going to have the revenue to diversify anyway yeah i say this all the time and actually i did a great um kind of training with one of our guys not too long ago. And the big thing we spoke about was that he, the biggest fear that he had was that his business now wasn't where he wanted it to be. 
And therefore, if he niched down even further and spoke to even fewer people and an even smaller audience, in, in your head, you're like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever because my business isn't where I want to be. I'm not making the revenue. I'm not getting the clients through the door. So actually now, if I completely eliminate a huge percentage of the market and just speak to these few people, your brain's going, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Why are you doing that for? Because that makes no sense. There's less opportunity now. But in fact, it does the complete polar opposite and it actually creates even more opportunity because you now become, you become the hero, you become the sage, you become the go-to, you are the lighthouse and your content and the way in which you now uh, communicate then becomes so clear, so aligned, so direct. And the one thing that I always think about is that people now buy people first and foremost, and it's going to be like your story and you living it and also learning it. And people now investing actually into you, your values, why you do what you do, why you've built what you've built, like the journey that you've now kind of been through. And if you don't have the, um, I, I think the, the capacity to now go narrow and deep, obviously on that, you just speak to everybody on the gym floor. That's fine because you're building relationships and you're obviously having those multiple touch points, but obviously online, you just end up in the abyss and just, kind of speaking to nobody and you just end up being kind of coined as another coach or another personal trainer or another transformation expert who's just now speaking to multiple people. I think the mistake that people make about this is that if they were on the gym floor in a public gym, at best, your gym is going to have maybe a thousand people in it, right? And I'm talking about a big chain gym, like a snap fitness or a 24 hour fitness, something like that, right? If you had a thousand people in your Instagram account, you'd be panicking. Because you'd think, I don't have enough people to sell to. If you were on a gym floor, you'd be like, this is a this is a great. I've got loads of business coming in here. I could be fully booked in this gym. And you absolutely could. You'll be fully booked with, you know, what, 30 people probably on a gym floor, if that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing I'd say. You've got the audience you need. You don't need to – you can be as specific as you want. You almost can't be too niche. When people think about – I don't want to speak to fewer and fewer people because that's going to – there's fewer opportunities – what they don't think about is that there's also fewer comp people that can compete with you. So the more of a specialist you are, the, the less people can compete with the thing that you're offering because you're becoming so specific and he's right, like, or she's right. You are absolutely solving a, a problem for a smaller group of people. That is true, but that's not a bad thing because the, the, the fewer people that can help them with that problem, the more money they're prepared to pay for it. And this is actually a really good lesson. It's quite a subtle lesson that most people don't pick up on. The quality of your client is dependent on the quality of question that they can ask you. So I know when coaches come to me and they say things like, oh, I'm struggling to get leads. That's not a great question. You're going to hire me for quite a broad problem. There's loads of people you could hire to help you with that problem. But if they come to me and they say, um, I've got a, an audience of 2,000 people who I'm I'm able to monetize less than 10% of them. And the people who I do get are often not the right fit for my culture in my group. That's a much better question. So I know that person's further ahead because they're asking a better quality question. Like when I think about the people who I've hired to help me in my business over the course of the last 12 to 18 months, I'm hiring them for such specific problems there's such narrow problems, and I'm paying so much for that support. So, for example, I've heard somebody, I would I think the best in the world, at teach me how to sell with emotionally driven stories. That's the only thing I want you to help me with, just that one thing. He's like, do you want me to review your sales page? Do you want me to look at your leads? I'm like, no, I just want you to help me with this one thing. And had access every single week for a year. I think I went to five calls. I asked 
two questions, I had exactly what I needed. So I don't need all of you. I just need this one thing. I, and that's what I'm looking to learn. So the more specific your question can be, the more of an expert you yourself are. So if you go to Joe and you're like, I need help with my business. He's like, okay, you know nothing about this. Whereas if you're helping with a really particular part of the process, you think, okay, well, this person's fairly far along and I'm able to give them a much better quality of answer because they know what they need out of this exchange. And then they can ask deeper questions rather than broader ones. Yeah, I love that. And again, it goes back down to that. Like, how much am I going to get? You know, yeah. how, how much, how much, am I, how much, how much can I give? And then you're now looking at the value based upon how much you're now going to give rather than actually what is the result that I'm now going to get them and what's the friction that I'm going to remove? What's the emotion, the effort, the time, the insert, whatever it is that they now particularly value. Um, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. But again, in your head, it's, it's initially challenging to get through because you're like, how much can I now provide? How much can I now give based upon obviously just trying to justify the price and the investment instead of actually just now thinking about it through a completely different lens. So moving into uh, the next 12 months, where do you think coaches should be really focusing their effort and tension and energy when it comes to obviously their, their marketing efforts? I am. So first of all, I'm going to try and solve a problem for coaches. I think they are entirely fed up of a constantly changing algorithm. I think they're sick of investing money into team to get diminishing returns. I think they are hiring people like me as a copywriter to write great copy for them. I think they're hiring photographers and videographers to film and record stuff that's you know maybe getting looked at by 10% of their audience if they're lucky. I think they are hiring VAs and setters in their DMs that are maybe having less of an impact than they were. I think this year we're going to see coaches take their social media and just use it as a lead generation funnel, an organic funnel, and take them off the platform and put them in maybe email or somewhere else, like a community, like uh, perhaps a Facebook group or a circle or school or something else where they can actually talk to the people who want to hear from them. I personally am sick to death of playing the algorithm game, which is irritating given that I've pinned my entire business to the social media organic marketing angle. And I'm like, I'm just so fed up of the the changes that seem to make no sense the sex bots the nonsense i'm just like this is just like it shouldn't be this unpredictable so i think there's going to be a backlash either the algorithm will change and it will become more predictable because they're going to lose a huge amount of uh, regular users or coaches are just going to use it as a free tool to just amplify and, and grow their other lists that they own that's the first thing i think they need to move into um an effort driven it's actually me. You can hear my voice. Here I am. I'm going to record you a video. And this is like, that's where they spend their time, making a genuine, deep connection one on one with actual people. It almost feels like we're returning to our roots with building trust in a slow way, right? I don't think this is going to be about getting some Filipino VA in your DMs to, to slam as many follow for follows as you possibly can. I think that's going to die out. Um, and I think the core thing to make that happen is going to be longer form content where you showcase your genuine expertise. So what do you as coaches actually care about? And I think if you sit down and think about it, there's going to be certain things that you would rant about that would light you up. You become expansive when you talk about them and other things that you feel like I'm just going through the motions. I'm just telling you about calories. I'm just telling you about the same thing again. If you're bored of talking about it, 
you don't want people who are not bored by that because they're at a totally different stage of their journey. So talk about the stuff that genuinely lights you up and make it fit what they need. So this thing about the, the, the segue into like, you need to know that you need to carry a deficit, but I'm going to tell you about this experience that I had that's completely personal to me and only I could tell this story in this way. That's absolutely where you should spend your time and energy. So show your face on camera, make a genuine connection, be willing to look daft. Like I'm doing this series of reels at the moment. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, Joe. I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to learn how to do it. The conversations that I'm having with people is so lovely because they're just genuinely supportive and they want to see you try to do something new. So I'm using the social media stuff for that and I'm channeling people to the email list where they will actually get good stuff from me. But I'm just trying, just going to try and make it fun. This year, social media is going to be fun for me. I'm not going to make a big effort with it in terms of like spending on it or time and stuff like that. I'm literally just going to fuck about, have some fun and see who vibes with that. So a genuine connection in the trust that your people will find you. And I think that's the way to go with it. Yeah, I hear you on all the above. And the one thing that really stands out in my mind on my journey is that the game really started to change for me with my copy and my content. A, when obviously I worked alongside you. But uh, I think most importantly, when I transitioned from what do my audience want me to say in comparison to actually what do I want to talk about? And the moment that I transitioned from trying to make it about everybody else and I just made it about myself and I just thought, well, actually, what am I interested in? What am I excited about? What am I passionate about? What do I want to talk about? What would I actually now want to read? Uh, and what would I actually look forward to kind of like writing or like video recording, whatever it is, that's really when the game started to change because you're then no longer this puppet that's then basically just wandering and thinking about all these open loops of like, what about these people and this person and what do they want to hear right now and what's the market wanting and what's all these other personal trainers now talking about and you just go well what do I want to say like what really lights me up exactly as you said and when you do that your content then becomes uh, a far more authentic b uh, transparent uh, c it allows you actually to create content far more consistently as well because you're then for the first time, not now, again, being controlled by external, you're just actually allowing yourself to really present yourself to the world. And when you do that, again, that becomes that magnetism that really just connects and radiates and brings the right types of people then towards you, which then again is going to be the very thing that not only gets people into your program, but the most most important component is actually how long are they then actually going to stay in your program? And then how many times are they going to talk about you, refer you, and uh, only have good things to say about you then moving forwards? Because that's when it really starts to compound. So I think for me, it's, and I'm sure you'll agree, it's not just getting the lead, it's not just getting the client, it's actually then the customer journey, the customer relationship, the reputation, the rapport, and then obviously what happens as a byproduct. That's how you build sustainability. Uh, stability and then obviously that gives you scalability then then moving forward yeah well so the question i would ask them is like if you could never talk about health and fitness if you could never talk about calories and you could never talk about training what else would you talk about so that shows that you're a multi-dimensional person with in you know with interests outside of the gym if the only thing you talk about on your social media or wherever is training and dieting but the people you're trying to sell to are not training and dieting that's why you're trying to sell them something they obviously can't relate to you. So you have to start talking to them about stuff that they care about, that you also care about, and then you'll find the right people. At that point, you can then sell them stuff and show your expertise and demonstrable value as a coach because they already like you. And they know that when I talk, like last year, I don't think I talked about marketing anywhere. And all of my sales came from talking about things like Pantera albums or coffee. Like it was literally just a case of, 
I like this thing and I'm and I'm learning more about it. What do you know? And then you instantly build that rapport straight away. It's hard to build rapport on training and um, dieting with people who are not training and dieting. So you talk about with your mates because they're all doing it too. But for me, it is absolutely about being a multidimensional person. Show me what else you like. And if you couldn't talk about health and fitness, what else would you talk about? And for, you know, test it for one month. Just talk about that. Just on social media. Just talk about that and see how your engagement and interaction. And when I say engagement, I don't mean stats. I mean, like, are people actually into what you're saying? Um, and then you can take it from there. So if you get a better response from that stuff, do that. Do more of that. Uh, you can all still sell them in email or in DMs or whatever. It's just a case that your front end is actually interesting to the people who you would like to have in your life. I say this to my guys all the time, right? There's no sales conversation. You should be having no sales conversation. And I know this is going to be an absolute record scratch. I just do vibe checks. I never have a sales conversation ever. I just do a vibe check. So like, do you, are you cool? Like, do I, do I even want you in my business? Because if you're a Lord, I don't. So if you feel like the DM thing has become heavy and your social media no longer feels fun, try that. Just vibe check people. Have cool conversations with cool people you think I would like to have you in my life. And sometimes they'll buy from you. And that's great. Yeah, be a person first. I think first, first, first and foremost. And I think that's also why you've got to spend time out with the four walls of your office and also laptop and actually go and do some stuff because that's yeah. going to be the very connection. And again, I think about this again, like social circles, your friends, like why are you friends with those people? Because you have similar interests, you have similar values, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's literally why they're in your world. So again, customers and clients are going to be exactly the same. So I uh, know so powerful, Kath, I would love to do obviously a second, third, fourth, episode. to be fair, we could probably just carry on and we could keep, we could keep going, but I'm going to get in trouble with Leanne if I don't go downstairs <laughs> in a couple of minutes. Um, just, just to do my second Portuguese lesson where I look like a complete idiot because I cannot pronounce any words whatsoever. Uh, so six months time, I'll do the next podcast in, in, in Portuguese. But final piece that I wanted to ask you, uh, quick fire round. What's been your biggest highlight since starting Kind Copy? What's been mm. your biggest hardship and who's been your biggest hero? Biggest highlight for me was being able to employ my husband. Um, I have a number of members of my family in the business, but he was in a place in his life where he really, really needed an urgent change and, and quickly. So being in a position where we could bring him on board was actually really important to me and for our well-being. Um, my biggest hardship was... Um, God... Probably the ongoing challenge of sort of chat GPT style content. Coaches think that this is useful, but it's only giving you information. And then they are in a position where they haven't got any income and then they can't make any changes in their business. And the reason why it doesn't work is because it's information driven. It's not about you. And that's what you really need to have. Um, And what was the last one? My inspiration. Yeah, your biggest hero. Biggest hero. My sister is an absolute rock. She's come into the business about September, maybe two years ago. Um, And she just basically is the Kath Wrangler and keeps me sane. She, uh, I think I would be genuinely fucked without Claire in the business, to be honest. So she's an amazing writer, but she's also an amazing, like, sounding board for information. And she keeps me, she keeps me straight because my brain can go a thousand miles an hour sometimes and she rings it in. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Kath, thank you so much for your time. If anybody wants to go and check out where you are and uh, watch and see some of your uh, content, copywriting, wizardry and coffee and, and new reels uh, that you're now putting you're now putting out, where, where do they need to go? 
Come and have a chat to me on Instagram. I am Kind Copy UK. It will literally just be a chat. If you like cats, cool albums, uh, coffee, let's uh, let's have a chat about those things. And I would love to connect with anybody who just wants to be a normal human. Yeah, you're an absolute legend. You're doing amazing things. I have so much respect, love, and appreciation for you. Uh, you are one of the uh, good eggs uh, in the world who's trying to make uh, the industry a stronger, safer, and better place. And for that, I massively appreciate you. You're a massive role model for me. So uh, keep up the amazing work, and we'll definitely get you back on the podcast in a couple of months' time. Speak to you soon. Legend. Thank you so, so much.